know what? We are talking about returning to the Lord. And um, so what happens uh, when you return to the Lord? Anybody, somebody share with us real quick. What happens when you return to the Lord? We shared a couple things. What, you know, what, what happened for you? Say it a little louder. You're a new person. You're a new person. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What else? You return to the Lord. What happens? Fullness of joy. Amen. That's right. There's so much. I know, you know, there's so many things we can mention. I know you're shy to say it all. Um, but we, we have said, like, returning to the Lord is the most important thing, right? We, we use the passage out of Luke 15, the, the son who finally came to his senses. He was lost. And uh, he, comes, he comes to his senses and he comes back to God. And, and that all of us, every human being on the planet, has to come to that point in their life where they come to their senses, where they realize that I, I, I might be able to live life on this planet, but I can't get myself beyond it. There's no way. I can't do anything, right? I need someone else. I need something else. I need the God of all creation to lift me from this place into eternal life. I can't get there on my own. And we all have to come to a place where we realize that I might be an okay person, but that's not going to get me eternal life. And I need, we all need, a Savior. We need a Savior. And so returning to the Lord is realizing that I need a Savior to take me out of here. Because one day it'll end for me. One day it's all going to end for the planet, right? And we need someone to take us beyond that. Thank God for his son Jesus, right? And so we repent, we turn, right? Sins are wiped away, the passage says in Acts, right? And times of refreshing come from the Lord, and that's so amazing. Um, it's just amazing, you know? And, and we need to get away. We need to take time to get away and be refreshed. And this is kind of like a, an opportunity for us to come in here and be refreshed a little bit, you know? Just so we can go out and face another week or whatever's coming our way. All kinds of stuff going on. When we turn, we find a creator that loves us, right? We find the God of all creation that made it all, put it all into existence, and he loves us. He loves us. That's what you find when you come to your senses and, and you realize what you've been missing is a father who loves you in heaven that made you, and he is really for you. You know, he made you in his image, and he's not here to pounce on us. He's here to love us. He's here to like to for for to let you live life to the fullest, you know, to to get the most out of why he made you. So you can live out your purpose. I mean, that's amazing. That's freedom. That's refreshing. We also find a, a, a Savior who, who accepts us. We find a Father who accepts us, just like he accepted his son. Today we discover something else. This lost kid, you know, he found a dad of love. But we don't, you know, we don't know in the story what happened much after that. But there's something else that happened in Luke 15, and I want to, it's going to lead us into our topic today, okay? So if, you, if you're around Luke 15 in your Bible, you know, just happen to be strolling by, go to Luke 15. Reveals another truth. You know, if you're playing on your phone, I know if you're on your phone, it's because you're in the Bible, right? You're on your Bible app, right? Okay, good. 
reveals another truth. Uh, look at verse 10 here, okay? Because there's the three stories, right? There's the, 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 the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and there's the lost son. But in verse 7, look what it says. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You look at uh, verse 10, it says, in the same way I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels and of God over one sinner who repents. And in verse 31, at the end of all of these stories, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. I mean, the other truth to this, this story, we, we celebrate, yes, that's what we do, right? When people come to know Jesus, when you know that you're safe and secure in the arms of our God, celebrate, you know, that's something to be excited about, isn't it? It should be. And we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. People who have riches, that, that, that might be happy for a while, but that, that doesn't even come close to the joy that we have in knowing that the God of all creation loves us so much that he'd send his son to die for us and that in him we can celebrate. So we do celebrate, but celebrate what? See, that's the question. That's what we're going to get into today. Celebrate what? What exactly are we celebrating? And get this, it's not a coin that was lost in the house and we found it. And it's not a sheep that was lost wandering around in your yard, but a sinner who repents. That's what we celebrate, is a sinner who repents, who was dead and is now alive. Right? He was lost and he is now found. That's what we celebrate, is that another soul that was headed for hell is now brought back into the kingdom of God. That's the only thing worth celebrating on the planet. Everything else might be fun and we get a hurrah out of things, but celebrate, really truly celebrate. There's only one reason to celebrate and that's when we find the Lord. See, we find when we come back, when we do return, we find a, a father who loves us. And we find a father who not just says, I love you, and he's there for us, but he accepts you, he accepts us. Today we find salvation. Today when you return to the Lord, what you find is salvation. And salvation means that you are delivered from the danger of suffering. That's what salvation means, to be saved. We see the word in the world a little bit, but most of the time when you hear the word salvation, it always has to do with the Christian faith and what God has done for us. Okay, it's always connected, or, or most of the time, it's connected to spiritual truth about what God has done for us, our salvation. To save means to deliver or to protect. The word carries the idea of victory and health and preservation. Right? It refers to our deliverance from the consequences of sin, and it therefore involves the removal of sin. You are saved because you were dead and now you are alive, and that only happened because God forgave your sin. 
that separated you from him, like Nathan just talked about in our community. That in the garden, that sin that separates us from God. And so salvation is what we find. That, that, that's a good thing, right? I mean, isn't that a good thing? Does that make you smile a little? Oh, oh. if it doesn't, I don't know what's going to... Just to be on the same page. It. Salvation. Because we've got to make sure we're all on the same page. Salvation, it. Salvation. Is found in only one person. For all of mankind. For all of the planet. Everybody that's ever lived or will ever live. For every person on this globe we call the earth. I'm talking about America. I'm not talking about our country. I'm talking about the world. There is only one person who has the power to save. Now think about that. We're going to kind of dig into this a minute because the world will say differently. Right? But what I'm proclaiming to you today from here is this. Same thing that Peter said, that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to us, given to men, by which we must be saved. It's only in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you in the scripture that that's the truth. That we can only be saved through Jesus. The world will say that there's other major religions. They will say that there's prophets and other ways to get to God. There are other ways to get to where you're going. But they will not get you to the one. They will not get you to the one who spoke the world into existence. They will not get you to the one who breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. They will not get you to the one who breathed into the world the word of God and the, the written word of God and Jesus in the flesh. Those other religions will not get you there. See, the world may scream tolerance and equality and all kinds of other things, but the world doesn't get to decide the world does not get to decide who God is or what flavor they want him to be. We don't get to decide that. That's not our choice. We don't get to make that up. We don't get to just create whatever we want and say that's equal to that. Because it isn't. There's only one God. And we're, we're talking about... Like we're talking about eternal salvation here, not the American or a world way of living our lives, right? Where we make everything fit into our way of life. We're talking about eternal salvation, eternal life, not on this planet, but in all of eternity. See, all religions and all faiths do not lead to heaven and to eternal life. So when the world accuses you of being narrow-minded because you believe that there's only one way to heaven, you're in good company, right? You're in really good company. The God of all creation, the God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the apostles, the God of the prophets, the God of Jesus, the author who wrote the word, that God, the God who sent his, only, his Holy Spirit to fill us and to dwell within us, the God who sent his only son to die for you, to rescue you, is the very same God that we are here to worship today. He is the one true God. And salvation is found in no one else out there. There's nothing else out there that will get you to eternal life. Not so with the other religious paths, right? I'm not talking about Bible-believing churches or other denominations. I'm talking about world religions that say 
other ways will get you to heaven. I'm talking about religions who claim that religious rule keeping or idols or man-made gods can forgive your sin and deliver you to the promised land. That's what I'm talking about. It's simply not true. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, Paul, Paul hit this right on the head. Okay, What I'm saying, Paul kind of was said, and so he, he nails it the same way. Paul was in Athens, right, and he noted that the people were very religious. And he stood in a meeting of the Areopagus, which basically means like Mars Hill, it's a place the, uh, near the Acropolis in Athens. And Paul said, he said, I see many objects, right? Lots of objects of worship. I even found an altar, right, to what? The unknown God. The inscription, to the unknown God, in case we missed a couple. Right? And Paul says, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. Right? And he proceeds to share the one who died and rose from death to life. So in Acts uh, 17, look at what he says in verse 16. Paul's standing there in Athens. He's distressed to see uh, that the city's full of idols. He reasons with the people there in verse 16 of Acts 17. And in verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, he said, I see that you are very religious, that in every way you are very religious. That's, that's true about our world, is it not? I mean, you look at all the religions, hundreds of them, different belief systems all over the place, different people saying this is the way, that's the way, here's the way, that's the way. Here's how you get to heaven. Here's how you get to eternal peace. Right? Paul stands up among all these different religious belief systems, and he says this. I see you're very religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at, at your objects of worship. I even found an altar to, with the inscription to the unknown God. So you, so you are ignorant of the very thing, Paul says, you worship. That's not a slam. That's just a simply... Paul proclaiming that they are worshiping something they don't even know about. That's ignorance. Right? That's what ignorance truly is, is not knowing something, but putting your hope and trust in it anyway. That's ignorant. He says in verse uh, 24 here, he says, The God, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul is seeing all these different religious symbols, all these things that people are worshiping, different idols all over the place. And what he's proclaiming to them is that there's only one God and that there's only one way. That's what Paul says. There's only one way. So returning, returning to God, to God, returning back to the Lord, means that your feet are on the right path to life. Okay, Because you can return to a lot of different things out there. There's all kinds of things people return to. But returning to the Lord means your, your feet are on the right path. And what you find when you're on the right path, when you come back to God, is salvation. You find salvation, you find love, you find acceptance, you find salvation, you find eternal life salvation, saved from hell and the punishment that we deserve, right? 
So the God of all creation who wrote the Holy Scriptures and gave us His Holy Spirit and gave us His Son, this is what He says. He says, you are saved from the original punishment established by God Himself with Adam and Eve. That's what you're saved by. And this is not an American thing. This is a world thing. This is a human race thing. All of us. This is our problem as people on the planet. That we are all cut off by God because of our sin. It's a world problem. And God said, there's only one way to be saved. And so what is salvation? Let me share with you a couple things that salvation is. First of all, salvation is being saved from the wrath of God. Okay, that's a tough word, right? The wrath of God. You do not want to fall under right, the wrath of God. But we know the wrath of God is coming, right? You, you may have grown up with the wrath of dad. You're right? Some of you? Anybody? The wrath of dad? Maybe some of you are still under the wrath of dad. And you're like, no, don't talk about wrath. You just reminded him. I'm in trouble when I get home, right? I thought it was good. <laughs> The wrath of God is, is, is even more intense. In Romans, Paul is talking about how Christ died for the sinful, right? Paul's talking about how Christ died for the sinful. While we were, he says in, verse, in chapter 5, while we were powerless, while we couldn't do anything about it, Christ died for us, the sinners, right? We couldn't get there. We couldn't be good. We couldn't do anything to get back from where we fell because of our sin, he died for the powerless, and we became, because we separated ourselves, we became enemies of his. We became enemies to God. And in verse 9 of chapter 5 of Romans, here's what it says. It says, since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from what? From the wrath of God. See, salvation is being saved from the coming wrath of God. And it is coming. One day it will come. God will say, that's enough. Time is over. And the wrath of God will fall on anyone who still remains in their sin. Right? And this says that we've been justified. We've been made right with God by the blood of Jesus. Right? How much more will he then be saved from his wrath? From the wrath of God. See, only in Jesus can we be saved from what is to come, and it's coming soon. The wrath of God. Right? Grace, that's why we sing the song. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Right? My sin is big. In the eyes of God, my sin is huge. It's a Goliath. But Thanks be to God, Jesus, his grace overcomes my sin, and it's the only thing that can wash me clean and bring me back into the presence of God, and that's salvation. Salvation is being saved. It's being rescued from the wrath of God. That is the judgment and the punishment that's to come because of our offenses toward God. Nathan mentioned about it in the garden. When God said, if you eat, you will surely die. That's the, the word of God. God said, if you do this, this is going to be the result. And God is true to his word, isn't he? 
He always is true to his word. And that's the beauty of grace because God is the one who established the law and when we broke it, he then paid the penalty for our wrongdoing. And he satisfied the punishment for our sin. Sin brought death. God sent Jesus and in salvation and through Jesus, punishment and wrath are paid for. They're satisfied only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That's just the beginning of it, though. Okay, number two. Jesus, about salvation. Jesus equated salvation with entering the kingdom of God. You may talk to people, and people have all kinds of weird ideas. Is being saved the same as being in the kingdom of God, or do I have to do something else? Or, you know, all kinds of ideas out there and teachings about that. They're, they're separate and different and all this. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking about eternal life, right? It's a, a rich young ruler comes to him asking him, how do I get eternal life? Remember the story? You can go there if you want, Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 19 here in a minute. And he says, the rich young ruler comes to him, right? And he says to him the big question that people ask. And he words it like this. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that seems like a pretty legitimate question, right? But it's a very religious mind, isn't it? It's like, what good thing must I do to go to heaven? Now, we know the answer to that is, is there's nothing you can do. Right? You can't buy heaven. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. Right? We all know that you can't do anything. And so Jesus is like, he responds to him and he kind of like, it's like, I think Jesus is just like going to play with this guy for a little while. And he's like, okay, we'll, we'll go with this for a minute. He says, Jesus says, keep the commands. And the guy says, like, which ones? And Jesus says, one through 10. And the guy's like, whoa, this is awesome. And this conversation's going just the way I thought it would. It's great. Right? I've done that. Yeah, I did it. It's like, I've kept them all. And Jesus, is, Jesus says, do you want to be perfect? Do you want to be perfect? You think you've kept the commands, right? You, you, you're telling me you've kept the command. That's kind of like mom saying to their kid, go clean the room. And the kid comes back five minutes later and says, it's all clean. Right? The kid, in his mind, it's clean. But when you go to check it, you know, nothing's been moved, right? Nothing. It's clean, Mom. I got a path. <laughs> I did clean my room. That's kind of what's going on here. In this guy's mind, he thinks he's perfect. Everything, you know, checked all the boxes. Okay, I, I could probably check most of them. I didn't murder anybody lately. Right? <laughs> I haven't stolen anything that I'm aware of, except when I was little. So, okay. Won't go there. We don't talk about that. So Jesus says you want to be perfect because really that's what it takes to get to heaven, right? You got to be perfect, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, so Jesus is going to play with this guy for a minute. He's going, let's take it to another notch. He says, do this. Here you go. Check this out. You want to be perfect. Go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. You're going to have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. Simple. And the guy's like, whoa. That's a lot, Jesus. Like, that's a lot to do. Jesus is saying, you, you want to be perfect? You want eternal life? Then you are going to have to be all in. All 
in. All in. <laughs> All in. You. Not your behaviors. You. Your very person. All in. Give me everything you are. Lay down your life. Get rid of everything. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven. And the man went away sad because he was rich. He was rich. Right? And then look what happens. Jesus says to the disciples, verse 24, he says, backing up one verse, in verse 23, he says, Jesus said to the disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about this rich guy, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus says to his disciples after this rich guy leaves, because he's sad, he says, it is, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So no, we're talking about the kingdom of God, eternal life, salvation. And there's a lot of talk about what this might mean about the camel, you know, and the needle and all that stuff. And when the disciples heard this, it says they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? And so the kingdom of heaven and being saved are one and the same. And Jesus is pointing out that, yeah, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so is it impossible for a rich person to be saved? No, it's not impossible, but it is very difficult. And there's a lot of theory about this idea of um, the uh, eye of the needle, and let's just play with that for a minute. So Jesus says lots of things that are out there, right? Lots of things that are just out there. Like remove the plank from your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. You know, and other things that Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, right? And he says, you know, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. If your hands can talk to each other, right? So there's, there's the hyperboles, right? They're like figures of speech. And he uses them. Some people will say that this was Jesus, you know, there's this gate and the city wall and a camel has to get, that's not even, there's nowhere, there's no history out there that proves that ever existed. That's just a nice way that preachers like to tell stories that make it sound really cool. And you've all heard that story, so we can now get to the truth, and that is, that's probably not what he's talking about because when he's talking about, there's a couple things he's talking about. When he talks about the eye of a needle, he's actually talking about an eye of a needle. That is what he's talking about. Like, you who sow, you know what an eye of a needle is. So that's what Jesus is referring to. When he says a camel going through the eye of a needle, that could mean a couple things. None of this really matters all that much because the point is somewhere else. But rope, the word rope and the word camel are related in Aramaic because rope was made out of camel's hair. And so those words can be interchanged depending on how they're used in a sentence or in a statement. So you could say, you could, you could technically say, and some scholars do say, that it is easier for a rope to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that would be true. Right? It is easy to thread a needle. I mean, it's, not, it's hard, but it's not impossible. You can do it. It's easier to do that than for a rich man to go. But what it seems that Jesus is saying is this. It's easier for a camel, you know, a weird-shaped-looking thing, to go through the eye of a needle 
than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's outrageous, it's ridiculous, and basically impossible for us. It is impossible. I would love to see somebody take a, even a baby camel and shove it through the eye of a needle. <laughs> Good luck, <laughs> right? In, in, uh, in the Talmud, the same story is shared, and instead of camel, it's elephant. It's easier for an elephant to go through the eye. <laughs> Big animal, it's impossible, right? It's what the point is to show the impossibility of it ever happening. It's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because of their riches. See, this guy thought, I've kept all the commandments, but what he didn't realize was he had made his money his idol. He was worshiping something, he didn't even realize it. He thought, I checked all the boxes. I haven't broken any of them. I'm good to go. I've made it. And Jesus is pointing out, no, you haven't, and either has anyone else. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We're all doing things we shouldn't be doing. But with God, he goes on to say, all things are possible. See, with man, it's impossible. You can't get to heaven. You can't be saved. You can't enter the kingdom. But with God, oh, that camel can go through that eye of that needle with God because he's good like that. He's really good. So not only do we see that it's hard to have worldly riches and be saved, but we see that God wants 100% of us, not our tithe of us. You know, he's not interested in a tenth of you. He's interested in all of you or none of you. Right? That's what he wants. Every bit of every ounce of energy that you have, everything he's blessed you with, it's all his. And if you're not willing to lay it all out there for him, then you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. All right? The call is so intense that salvation, God gave his all, and he expects us to do the same. Escaping, right? See, we, what we see in this is being saved means that we're entering into the kingdom of God. When we're saved, we enter into the kingdom of God, where God lives and dwells and moves and works, escaping a world of destruction and escaping the coming wrath. That's good news. When you come back to God, when you return to the Lord, you find salvation. And salvation is thorough, it's deep. Third, Jesus said, he alone is the sole path to heaven. No other name given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus said he is the only way to heaven. And John, he's talking to his disciples, John 14. You guys know some of this passage. He's comforting them, right, encouraging them. He's talking about his Holy Spirit's going to come, and soon he would leave, and he would go there and prepare a place for you and come back for you. And he's sharing the way to the Father, and Thomas, is, Thomas says, Lord, I'm confused. How do we get to the Father? You know, like that confused look people get. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, Thomas, listen up, chop, chop, chop. Thomas, I am the way. Right? Thomas says, I'm the way. Thomas is like, how do we get to the Father again? Do I have to do this, or do I have to do that, or is there something I've got to do, or check some boxes? To How do I get, we don't understand Jesus. How, again, do I get to the Father? And Jesus says, Thomas, look at me. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless they go through me. See, that's Jesus saying, I am the sole way 
to eternal life. There's no other religion. There's no other person. There's no other rules or regulations that you must do to get there. Only in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus never said there was another way. Jesus never said there are many paths to God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that he is the son of the living God, then you must also believe what he said. And what he said is, I'm the only way to heaven. He said, I'm the sole way. I'm the only way. I'm the bridge to salvation, the only path. And salvation in Jesus means that when you return, you find Jesus and you find rescue. Number four, salvation is forgiveness of sins once and for all. Right? That's what salvation is. It means that your sins are forgiven one time for all. And that's good news. Right? That's so good news. While there is only one way to the Father, it is available to anyone. See, that's the grace of God. It's open to anybody, men, women, child, anybody who puts their faith, every tribe, every nation, every color, every tongue, doesn't matter who you are. Salvation is available to you. It's offered to you. The invitation is for you, all people everywhere. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is talking about Christ's sacrifice once for all, and he says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, right? The law. The Ten Commands, just a shadow of what's to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can, never, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated earnestly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So the blood of bulls and goats did nobody any good for salvation. What did matter was their obedience to what God said. That mattered. Their faith in God and honoring what God said and doing what God said, that's what got them saved, by their faith in God. Right? He says, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would have, and would have no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But, he says, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for blood and bull, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, right? The body of Christ with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in a scroll, Jesus says. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law, right? Year after year after year. They never made anyone right with God. Those sacrifices of all those poor animals never made anyone right with God by them blood themselves. In verse 9, he says this, Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first, the law, to establish the second, grace. Verse 10, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One sacrifice, one person, Jesus Christ, for all of mankind, not having to repeat it year after year, but Jesus died one time covers all our sins. See, salvation 
is coming into a relationship with Christ and being saved. Salvation in Christ. Your sins forgiven. One time for all. Mark said this. Mark 16 wrote, he said, Whoever believes in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so anyone, whoever believes, will be saved. One time for all. Salvation is from Jesus, and it's available to all of us, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes, anyone, anybody who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, have life, life in Jesus. So when you make your way back to God, when you return to the Lord and you come to your senses and return, you find, what you find is a father who loves you, right? The God of all creation who isn't ready to throw down on you, but he's ready to love you and hug you and welcome you in. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to accept you and let you be part of his family and say, come on back in. Why have you been running so long? He's not going to come chasing you. But he's, he's more than open arms to you coming back. Right? And, and then what you find is salvation. What you find is like forgiveness and healing of your soul. And, and he's preparing you for eternity in, in that. That he loves you so much that he wants you to spend all of eternity with him. You know, the world is so temporary. This world that we think is so important. One day we're going to look back, you know, in, in, in 50 years for most of us, 100 for probably all of us in this room, we're going to look back. It's going to be over. Our time on this little globe will be no more. And then forever we'll, we'll be right here in our face. And that's a long time. That's a long, long time compared to this world and our short time on here. And the best thing we could ever do is give our life to Christ. Is just get right with God. You know, just give him your life. Give him a chance. If you've never done that before, you need to just give God a chance to show you that he loves you, that he'll accept you, and that he wants to save you. And I hope you'll do that today.